through and be a part of every area of our life. And that's, that's a good segue where we're headed this morning. Um, I, it's about to get real. Is that what you guys told each other? It's about to get real, right? The idea is that God does not want you to participate in religion without a real relationship with him. I, I get, religion seems to be like in the last, I don't know, couple of decades, like it's almost like a bad word. I, there's things that in religion, there's things that I, I don't want form without uh, relationship, right? There's things that we do that, religious things that we do, right? We come to church on Sunday, we read our Bibles. There's things that are part of that that aren't bad. I'm not trying to say all religion is bad. I'm saying that there's things that I don't want religion without relationship. I don't want to have things that I just do that I'm known that I'm just a religious person. I could care less about that. I want to know that when someone talks about Ryan, they say, that guy has a real relationship with Jesus. I see Jesus in him. I see the same acts of Jesus, the same kindness of Jesus, the same power of Jesus, that it's just in him. Jesus is in him. And that's, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We've been talking about um, David last Sunday, and we're going to maybe stay on this for a little bit. But the idea is that David was a man after God's own heart, right? That there was the form, his oldest brother, right? When Samuel came to find the next king, he came to Jesse's house, and there was the oldest brother. And he was strong and big and just looked royal and like, that's got to be the next king. And, and what did God say? He's like, I don't look at the outside. I'm not looking at the I look at the inside. And there's something about what God is saying. We sometimes think we have to do things on the outside to clean our our lives up and get all these things straight and in order. And God's like, actually, I just need your heart. I just need the real you. And let me work together with you to clean up your life, right? I, I, there was someone just recently that said that they didn't feel comfortable coming to church because there's lots of stuff that's wrong in their life and they got to clean some stuff up. And I was like, no, you got it wrong. Like, just come as you are. Just come and be real with Jesus and watch how he helps you Clean up all those things. It's not you trying to do it, the religious thing, trying to do it the right way and do all the, I don't know, all the right prayers and do all the right things. He's not interested in that. He's not interested in your performance. He's not interested in, in all those things. He just wants the real you. I, I mean, I, I just, thinking about often, I, I bring up, because I'm a dad and I got four kids, that's obviously a relationship, right? He is our heavenly father. There's things I love about my kids that they get good grades. They do well on the sport field or cheerleading. They do things. They, they accomplish things that are great. I love that about them. But regardless of that, that doesn't have any bearing of my actual joy in who they are. Just in who they are as my child, right? I, I was thinking about this. When my kids were born, right? We just saw a, a new hunt baby being born. When, if you had kids, when your kids were born... Your goal wasn't, I'm so excited I get to bring this new human into my life, into my household, so that I have another person in my life that I can tell them what to do and they have to obey me. That'd be a weird thought as a, as a, as a dad or a mom, right? That's nowhere in my mindset when I was bringing home this precious child is that I'm going to raise them up and they have to do whatever I say in my household. But it's amazing how some of us as Christians, we have that mentality that we think that's who God is in our life that he's just looking for you to do what he says. Just obey me. Just do what I say. And if we don't do what he says, then we have all this shame and guilt and we, we feel afraid to come into his presence. Like our heavenly father, he has no desire. He didn't create you just to have another being that will do what he says. He's got angels that do his bidding. He didn't create you so that you would just be an obedient slave. That was nowhere in his mindset when he created you. He was saying, I want a son and a daughter. 
I want someone I can have relationship with. I want someone who's, who's like me, that has my DNA, that's like, that looks like me in some ways, and that oh, I can have relationship and friendship with. It's about to get real, right? There's some of you here, it needs to get real. As a pastor, I've even had these thoughts and felt these feelings. That if I went a day without reading, opened up my Bible, I was like, oh, I'm a bad Christian. I'm a bad pastor. Like, I didn't perform well today. And I felt that. I thought that. And I was under that influence. Let me get it straight, right? Jesus does say, it's everything in context. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So there is obedience is a part of our relationship with him. But there's a difference from being a slave or a friend, right? We talked about this a little bit. John 15, 15. It's got easy to remember. John 15, 15. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, I no longer call you slaves. I call you my friends, right? For a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. There are secrets. There are whispers. There are things that go on in heaven that you will never hear if all you think of yourself is as a slave. There are things, right, there's verses that says that he dances over us, that he delights over us. A very famous verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, declares the Lord. Thoughts to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope, right? The thoughts that God thinks about you are like a heavenly father, not looking at someone who isn't performing well, who isn't doing everything he's commanded. It's just, you're his. When I brought my kids home, they didn't have to perform or do anything. They just filled diapers and cried and kept me awake at night. And somehow they brought me joy. It was not connected to their performance of all the extra resource, all the pain, sweat, and tears. I mean, just being real with you, four kids raising them, right? There's a lot of sweat and tears and just a lot that they took out of me that I, I gave them. But I didn't see it as, well, I have to give up what's mine and I have to give it to them. It was my joy to give them whatever is mine. Scripture says that it's his joy to give you his kingdom. He takes delight. It's his pleasure to give you what is his. He's not this reluctant father that's thinking, ah, all right, I guess I'll be kind this morning. No. He really, really, really loves you. And I think I've shared this before. I grew up with an affectionate mother. So she told me all the time, oh, Ryan, you're the best. Oh, I love you. She still sends me, sends me texts all throughout the week how much she loves me. I love it, right? But there's something different Than just hearing that and just saying, yeah, I know my mom loves me. Yeah, I know my mom loves me. I know God loves me. Maybe you've heard that a thousand times. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You've heard it before. But it's different when you know it in the core of your being. When you hear it from your heavenly father, it's not just some like religious thing being said and you're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. But when it actually hits deep into your soul that there is a God in heaven who really loves you who knows your name, who's thinking about you all day long. And it's this thing that he's thinking about you and actually 
He's saying good things about you. I know God loves me. Maybe you've heard that before. God loves you. But do you know, I, we read the story of Job, and it's kind of like a scary story because it's like, oh, no, like God can take things out of my life, and I can go through trials and difficulty, and I don't want that in my life. But do you realize the beginning of the story, God is just bragging on his son. It's like, oh, man, have you seen Job? Like he is bragging in the heavenly realm. Man, I love that guy. He does this. He just wants to spend time with me. He talks to me all day long. Like, I just find so much joy and pleasure in Job. Do you know that's how God talks about you? He's in heaven right now talking about you by your very name and saying, oh, man, I love that guy. I love that girl. I just, I'm so in love. I think about them all day long, and all my thoughts are just to prosper them, just to give them things, just to bless them. This is, this is David. This is where David has this heart to build the temple, to actually do something for the Lord. It's not because he's a slave. It's not because he was commanded to do something. It's out of his own heart. He's just saying, God, I love you so much. I feel all this love and affection that you pour on me. I want to do something for you. It's not that I have to. It's not a, a commandment. It's just, it's my delight to make you happy. Can I say it this way? When you transition from being a servant or a slave into a friend, you're no longer concerned about disobedience. You're concerned about displeasing him. And that might sound like a minor difference. But it's, it's a shift in mentality. If my kids were raised in a household where all I did was yell at them every time they got something wrong, and they, it was just this, to me, abusive relationship where they just had to obey me all day long. I just gave them things to do and they had to obey me and that's all they experienced was from a dad that just told them what they do and they had to do things and there was no love and affection, right? They would be concerned about disobeying God, uh, disobeying dad, right? Well, I better take out the trash because if not, man, dad's gonna hate my guts. They would just care about being disobedient. But think about your friendships. Think about who you're friends with. Are you really concerned about disobeying your friend? That's not the kind of relationship you have with a friend. It's not a master over you telling you what to do. It's your friend. You don't go into their house and like, ooh, I bet I, I don't want to disobey them. Like that's a foreign thought when I go to my friend's house. I don't think I want to, I'm not worried about disobeying. But what I do care is I don't want to displease them. I want to bless them. I want them to be happy. I want to bring pleasure into their life. Is that making sense? There's a difference. And I feel like that's what God is saying this morning because he wants us to understand and transition out of a slave-servant mentality into a friendship mentality like David. It is God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. All right, really quick, I'm going to... I can make this a four-point sermon. I'm not doing that, but I, I feel like sometimes it's helpful. There's things that shift or change when we go from servant mentality to friendship mentality. What we know changes. If you read that verse, he says, I'm revealing to you what my father says. You can know what my father says. 
First thing that changes is actually what you know. There are things, Scripture says, that these are only spiritually discerned. There's truths, there's revelation that you will never understand through reason, through intellect, through studying, through all of that. It actually only comes in relationship, in intimacy with him. What you know changes. Like I said, I, I went to Bible college. I, I was given lots of, I, I love Bible trivia. My mom every once in a while gives me like little books of Bible trivia. And, and I love Bible trivia. But that's so different than knowing God, one of my words, right? Yada, experiential knowledge. I want us to have not just information. I want us to have experiential knowledge. So I say the first thing that changes is what you know. You can actually know the heart of God. It's not just studying his commandments, but even in the Old Testament, it says there'll be a time where he writes his commandments on your heart. You just know them. It's not coming through studying, through, I don't know, all this reason. I'm not saying you shouldn't read your Bible. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying the whole purpose of reading my Bible is not just to memorize commandments like a servant. It's like a friend. I get to know what's on his heart. I get to know why he commanded that. Not because I just have to obey him. Why is he saying that? Because he loves me. Everything he says don't do, it's not because he's a killjoy, right? It's because he wants to give me life and I might have it more abundantly. And if I choose that, I'm missing out on real life. So his reason for saying this is because he loves me so much. When I know that he loves me so much, those commandments become so much more, they're not so difficult. They're not so challenging. It's not like, oh, I have to sacrifice. I have to give this up so God gets what he wants. What you know changes. I'm going to go quick. Second, what you experience changes. When you spend time with him, his heartbeat becomes your heartbeat. Not only do what you know, but the things you desire. Your desires change. When you spend time with him, like a friend, not just a slave, like a friend, he lets you know his desires, and now you desire what he desires. I, I, I think of, I know it's maybe a strange Connection, but I, I think of Isaiah, right? Isaiah's in the presence of God, and he's like, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And we kind of realize that God is holy, holy, holy. We read that. But the reality is, then he hears what the Trinity is saying. Who will go? Man, I, I just want someone to go and share my message with the people. He gets to hear what's on the heart of the Father. And he's like, here am I. It's not this servant saying, well, I guess I'll do it. Well, if he picks me, I have to do it. It's like as, as a friend, he's hearing the heartbeat of God and his experience is no longer this reluctant like Jonah, right? Jonah was a prophet. He's like being told what to do and he didn't want to do it. But Isaiah was a prophet and he just came into the presence of God and he heard the heartbeat of God. His experience changed and it changed his heart. He wasn't a reluctant prophet. He's like, no, I, I want to do what you want, God. Third, I say, our function changes. We no longer do things for God. We do things with God. I found that again with my own kids. When I tell them, I mean, Jen, I can tell you stories and stories and stories of telling our boys to clean their room. They got, we have three boys in one bedroom. So just imagine the 
chaos that happens in that bedroom within one day. It can be a completely immaculate bedroom, and in one day, it's just chaos, right? I could go in there and stand in the doorway. I tried it. Trust me, I tried it. I stand in the doorway, and I told them, pick that up, put it over there, pick that up, put it over there. I was trying to tell them, listen to your dad, obey, but it's different when I would go into their room, and I would do it with them. All right, can you pick that up with me? Here, let's pick it up together. Let's put it in there together. There's something about doing something with your dad is different than doing something just for your dad. I think there's a mentality sometimes that we have to do things. We have to do them. When it's actually, no, he just wants to do it with us. God doesn't want to just tell you and command and tell you everything you have to do in your life and it's all these rigid things. I, I mean, maybe I'm, I know I'm wrapped up in, in this Decision process. My oldest is getting ready to go to college and he's trying to figure out which college to go to. And I know for me in my life, sometimes it's the same thing. Like, God, just tell me what to do and I'll go do it because I know what you want is going to be the best thing to do. And I feel like so often God's like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to go with you as you make a decision. I'll make it clear as you go. As you put forth attempts to try something, I'll do it with you. God is just saying, I want to be with you in this decision making. I don't want to just tell you what to do. I want to be with you. Same thing in my decision-making, my prayers, in my request to God. It's no longer just saying, I'm learning. Say, God, just tell me what to do. God, would you be with me? Would you be with me? I want to do this with you. I don't want to do it apart from you. I don't want to do it in my own intellect. I don't want to lean on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I just want to do it with you. I want to acknowledge you that you are with me. You are in me. You're for me. Let's do this together. Is that making sense? Not just for him, but with him. And finally, your identity changes. It's a process. Being a friend with someone is a process. I mean, I, I, I don't know. The, the donut shop right across the street over here. If you walk in that donut shop, they say, hello, friend. First time in there. Friend, you're, you're their friend because you're going to buy something from them. You're their friend, Right? But that's a different friendship, right? That's a different relationship than my best friend sitting on the front pew, right? That's very different. I've grown in my friendship. My identity has changed as I've become closer and closer friends with my wife. Your identity changes as you get closer to Jesus as your friend. I know he's our savior. I know he's the son of God. I know he's all these things, but there's something about you get conformed into his image when you just become friends with him. You become like him. And I'm not saying you abandon that he's your savior, he's your master, right? We humble ourselves with the mighty hand of God. Those are all things we keep, but we add on to these things, this idea of being friendship with him. And I just feel like God was wanting to say that this morning. Today is communion Sunday, and I will quickly transition into that. Um, As I said, John 15, 15, that's, that was in the context of Jesus being at the Last Supper with his disciples, his last moments with them. And he's saying, man, I, I no longer call you slaves or servants. I call you friends. But he also instituted communion, this idea that we can be in union. We can come into union with Jesus. And so I want to read, right? It's kind of a, a verse we read a lot um, for communion. I think I have it. Let me find it. Matthew 26, 26 through 28. If you could find that, throw that up there. Matthew 26, 26 says this. So as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, 
and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remissions of sins. So we're about to take communion. We're about to take the elements. Um, we're not going to have them passed out. I'm going to have it in a second brought here in the middle, and you guys can come forward and grab those elements. If you're joining us online, you can get communion elements ready as well um, at home. But the idea is we, we read these verses because Jesus is saying it's a new covenant. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. It's a new covenant. It's no longer that you just have to sacrifice animals to be forgiven. I will become the Lamb of God, right? I'll become the bread of life. I'll be broken. I'll be poured out. He's explaining, Jesus is explaining all these Old Testament truths. He's saying, I am fulfilling them all. I'm giving you a new covenant. It's no longer a list of do's and don'ts. It's now just intimacy with me. Come into union with me. So I love that Matthew 26, 26, it's kind of these verses, John 15, 15, 26, 26, Matthew 26, 26. It says this, as they're eating, Jesus took the bread, meaning there was multiple. They, back then, it's probably more like the pita breads. You guys know what I'm talking about. He chose one. There was one that was unique. Actually, I could go through that whole tradition. There's one that you would pull out in the beginning and that you would break and you put. Anyways, I won't go through all that, but there's specific ones. So I use that word, he took one, meaning he chose one. After he chose one, it says, then he blessed it. He gave thanks for it. He blessed it. It was chosen. It was blessed. Then he broke it. After he broke it, he gave it. Four things. As we take communion, I love that Jesus says, as often as you, as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So as he's saying this, I, I love those four words. He chose one. Do you know you, the word Messiah in Hebrew, Mashiach, it means chosen one. For thousands of years, the Israelites were looking for the chosen one to finally show up on the scene. They're looking for the Messiah. There are still Jews today that are still looking for their Messiah. Jesus is the chosen one. He's the chosen one. He's the only begotten of the Father. He's the chosen one. He's the blessed one. As he took the bread, it says he chose it, he blessed it. Really quick, right? When Jesus was being baptized, John the Baptist, came up out of the waters. Jesus was blessed by his heavenly father. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? To bless someone is to speak good words, to speak something good about them. Jesus was the blessed one. He chose one, he blessed one, he broke it. Jesus was broken for us. He was bruised, he was beaten, he was broken on the cross. He became broken for us. He's instituting communion. I'm the chosen one. I am the Messiah. I am the, I'm the blessed one. I'm also the broken one. I'm broken. I'm about to go to the cross. I'll be broken for you. And then it says, he gave it. He's the given one. Jesus is the given one. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus says, 
I give my life. The enemy is not taking it from me. I lay down my life. I give you my life. I will give you my own spirit. The same spirit that rose me from the dead, I will give you my spirit. Jesus is the given one. But I, I'm believing that what God is doing this morning is he's tying in this idea of communion and what I was saying earlier, that he calls you his friends. He's saying the same thing about you, about who Jesus is in these four words. Do you know you are the chosen one? You are his chosen child. He chose you before he laid the foundations of the earth. You are his chosen one. What does it feel like when someone notices you? When you're in a, a big group of people and you get singled out and you get affirmed for who you are. Do you see yourself as a chosen one of God? I think the Lord wants to sink that a little deeper tonight as we take tonight, this morning, almost afternoon as we take communion, do you see yourself as the chosen one? I just recently read this in a book from Henry Now, and it says this, we have to reclaim the truth that we are God's chosen ones, even when our world does not choose us. Every time you might feel hurt, offended, or rejected, you have to dare to say to yourself, these feelings, as strong as they might be, are not telling me the truth about myself. The truth, even though I may not feel it right now, is that I am the chosen child of God, precious in God's eyes, called the beloved from all eternity. This is Jesus, the chosen one, talking to you. You are his chosen one, predestined. But he's also saying you're the blessed one. Just as Jesus heard his father say, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. There's a father in heaven speaking about you right now by name. He blesses you. I think too often we're so busy, we miss the blessings all over our lives. And this morning there's an opportunity just to hear that gentle but powerful voice that says you are his beloved. He is well-pleased with you. Regardless of your performance, he's well-pleased with you. Can you receive that blessing? Broken. If you read every story in here, every hero of the faith, they lived broken lives, including Jesus. I love the song that our founding pastor's wife, Patty Stiles, Jesus says he was to be that broken bread and poured out wine. Jesus says, I am to be that broken bread and poured out wine. Can I share it this way? I, I love when I'm with friends and Watching the 49ers win in the second half last Sunday, right? Like, oh, I love that. Oh, with my family. Like, yes, things are going right and it's good. 
That's enjoyable. But can I tell you, when I feel most intimate with someone is when they're sharing their brokenness with me. They're being vulnerable and real and putting off all pretense and all facade and all masks and all whatever, all the right things to say and do. And they're just really genuinely broken before me. And I can share my brokenness with them. Intimacy happens. Jesus was the broken one. Jesus says he draws near to the brokenhearted. You can be broken this morning and you can have greater intimacy with Jesus than anyone else in the room. But I love that the whole purpose for God choosing you, blessing you, drawing near to you in your brokenness, the idea is for you to be given, for us to be given. We are blessed to be a blessing. It says that in our trials, in our tribulations, in our brokenness, we can actually learn how to bring comfort to other people. God wastes nothing. There's no failure. There's no attack from the enemy. There's no anything that you've gone through in your life that is just a waste. There's nothing. God's desire is to be real with you, but to make you real and authentic so you can be that to other people around you. You can be given, be spent. Hmm. Lots of things running through my head, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I have felt the prayers of the saints. I have felt when I'm, I don't know, going through something and I just like, oh, someone is praying for a pastor right now. I, I can feel the peace of God and that, that came from someone praying for I felt that. But can I tell you it's different? I enjoy that, but it's very different when someone I know deeply is carrying the peace of God. They just have the peace of God. They've spent time with God and the peace of God is all in them and they walk into my life and not just walk past me, but speak into my life from that place of peace. It's the peace of God. It's not their peace. It's the peace of God living and dwelling in them and they are giving the peace of God into me. Not just praying for me from a distance, but actually giving me their peace, giving the peace of God that lives in them. There's times, like I said, where I can watch the 49ers win. That's great. That's a fun thing. But there's also a difference when someone is carrying the joy of the Lord. And I don't have the full measure of joy that I should have, but man, they are just abounding in joy and they come into my life and they are carrying the joy of God. It just gets contagious and it gets on me. They're not just praying for me from a distance, but their closeness, they're being given, they're giving themselves to me. Can I say that differently? Like, it's not like, some of us are more talented than others. Some of us might not have a lot of talents, but what I can give is just myself. I can give you what I have, just what Jesus is inside of me. I don't have much talent, but man, I got, I got Jesus. If Jesus has given me peace, then I'm just gonna carry what peace he's given me and I'm gonna bring that. He's given me joy. I, I, I share that with you. I don't know how many times I say it on a Sunday morning. I think everyone knows no one's life is perfect. No one's life is easy. Sometimes the enemy wants to say, well, that person's life is easier than mine. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Everyone's got difficulty, right? 
But I'm telling you, the core of my being, I love my life. And I don't say that with arrogance. When I say I'm God's favorite, it's not because I look at my life and I'm like, oh man, everyone else's life sucks. I'm like, no, I just love my life when I spend time with God and I hear him say, Ryan, you're my favorite. I'm crazy about you. You missed it over here. You missed it over here, but I just love you so much. And my favor rests on you. And I've given you so much that you can be given to others. There's something that makes my life so enjoyable that I I want to give that to you. I don't want you to go through life being a victim, being someone that you don't have anything to give. It's like, no, you have everything that pertains to godliness. You have everything in your life. He's given you the kingdom. So on Sunday mornings, maybe I don't have an eloquent sermon. Maybe I don't have some great thing you've never heard before, but I just want to give you whatever I have. I want to give you the joy I have in life, the peace I have in life, the intimacy I have with Jesus. Would I just somehow give you my life, give you something? That's what Jesus is saying. He wants to give you himself. Not just rewards for being obedient. He wants to give you his friendship. He wants to give you real relationship with him. I don't know if any of this is making sense because I don't know what I said compared to what was written down over here. But as we take communion this morning, I would love for you to think about those things. Yes, think about Jesus, how he is the chosen one. He is the Messiah, the blessed one. He has all those things. But he's giving you these elements. As we take these elements, he's giving you his life so that you can be those same things too. I'm believing that somehow God is able to say the things I said and meet people where they're at. That as we take communion, there'll be a time to come get the elements and just go and sit. I believe there's someone in this room that you just need to hear the voice of your heavenly father. You need to hear what he says about you. And it's, maybe it's not going to come through a pastor preaching at you. Maybe it's not going to come through worship. Maybe it does come through all those things, but maybe it just comes in just holding those elements and you just being real before God. Just saying, God, I need your voice. I need to know what you think. I need to know what you say. So I'm just going to give you that time. We've got 10 minutes. Well, maybe less than. Take these elements and spend time with God. Can I have Nick, do you mind, or Jake, someone pass, uh, get the carts ready, put it in the middle and get everything ready. As people come forward, they can come get their elements. But can I, can I just say a prayers before we come get our elements and then let's just spend time in worship, but in reflection and listening to the voice of our Father. So God, we just come before you. not as slaves, not as servants. Yes, humbly bowing before you, but also receiving the truth of what you say today. That you do not call us slaves and servants any longer. You call us friends. You call us into intimacy. You long to speak your words of affection and kindness and gentleness, but also with strong affirmation. God, I pray that each one of us would hear the words of our Father today. If we just need to be loved on, we'll hear that. If we need to be 
exhorted, encouraged, have strength put in us to go and do and to be given and poured out for those around us. God, we want to hear anything and everything you want to say to us. We're hungry for more of you. We're thirsty for more of you. We long to be intimate with you, Jesus. So we draw near to you knowing that you will draw near to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come get your elements and grab a seat and just spend some time with before the Lord.
just take another moment to stay in God's presence and I'll, I'll lead us into taking the elements in a second. Jesus, we thank you that you are the bread of life, but you call us to be bread for those around us, God. You call us to be life, just as you are the light of the world, and then you call us the light of the world. God, we receive these elements remembering who you are, Jesus, but also reminding ourselves of who we are in you. That, Jesus, you live and dwell in us. May we become like our best friend. May we taste like you. May we sound like you. May we look like you. May we be the aroma of Christ. So Jesus, we we take these elements knowing that it is a holy thing, but it's not just a religious thing. You invite us into friendship and partnership and real relationship with you. So we take and eat and we drink into this real relationship. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you take it, eat and drink? Actually, can I ask for the worship team to come on up and we can do this. I know service is about to end. And if you have to go get kids, you can do that. But I feel like we're supposed to sing champion again. There were some good words and the good lines and good things that were spoken and declared that go right along with what God is saying this morning. And so we've had a time of reflection, but it's gotta be that we don't just stay in that place, but we get to a place where we understand who he says we are and we leave here knowing that he is our champion, but that we are to be a champion. I've told you before that God, what he says about Ryan in heaven, he says, Ryan is a champion of hope. God says the same things about you. You guys are champions. You are not You're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. You're not just tossed to and fro. You're not just succumbed to the the things the enemy does in your life. You are more than victorious. So as we sing this song, would you stand with us as we sing this last song and just declare this about Jesus and about ourselves, amen?